you're listening to episode four of eight minute movies knives eight a podcast talking about the 2019 movie knives out in eight minute chunks presented by me kieran and him peter this is a sequential podcast that contains big huge mega large spoilers for knives out so you should watch it first before listening and start the podcast with episode one hello to you upon this day peter Hello. Mm, mm, hi. Mm. Hi. Hello. Hello. Um, what do we do now? Uh, we 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 move straight into a, a a factual discussion of Knives Out with no digressions or sedations or citations. Ah, uh, speaking of knives, have you watched the hot new? TV show Severance. Oh, oh, oh wow. Um, uh, no, I haven't seen it. Is it any good? Uh, no, you have seen it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you have seen it. Yes, I, I, I've watched all of it. It, it, it is, it is very entertaining. Mm. Uh, I told you to watch it, and then you did. I ended up watching all of the nine-hour-long episodes across two days, which is it- a silly amount of television to watch. In in my defense, uh, you were the third person who told me to watch it, and three is my threshold. Mm. Mm. <laughs> if three people tell you to watch something, you will watch it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's, it, it worked for um, our flag means death as well. So Okay. Um, yeah, so Severance. Um, we're going to talk about it a little bit at the start of this podcast. You know, because severance is something you can do with knives, so that makes it directly connected to knives. Mm-hmm. Knives out, like yeah, that chain of logic holds together perfectly for me. Checks out. Uh, <laughs> and um, there are going to be some some little spoilers for it. Like we we we're, we're going to talk about stuff that happens in the first episode, and yeah, it, it's uh, if you want to go in completely w- without any knowledge then you may want to uh, skip a little bit or something but we're not going to go beyond stuff that you can find out in the first episode and we might mention one or two other things that aren't really in themselves yeah. spoilers. Y- yeah, the the existence of some stuff which isn't specifically a spoiler but is very funny nonetheless. Yeah. Um, so, uh, with that, listen, or you may want to skip ahead for like a minute or six. <laughs> I don't know. I reckon, given our past form, it's probably going to take us more than one minute <laughs> to discuss this show. Yeah, we we haven't even fucking got into it. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, um, in fact, I'm inserting this in an edit from the future. Skip ahead to minute 22 to be fully clear of severance nonsense. Okay? Okay. I love you. Goodbye. Right, right. Okay, well, that was your spoiler warning. Uh, So, Severance is a television show available on the old Apple TV. And um, it's a sort of sci-fi mystery show in the same vein as Dollhouse and Westworld. Those are my two sort of anchor points for comparing it to other stuff so if you liked those i mean it's very close to dollhouse in some ways so the kind of idea behind severance and uh you learn all this in the first episode is that there are these people who go to work every day 
and they've chosen to undergo a process called severance, which uh, puts a little chip in their brain, which means that um, when they're at work, they only have their work memories accessible. And when they leave work, they don't have those memories. So uh, their memories have been severed. They have a um, a work self and and a rest of life self. Mm. And it's a it's a fresh new job as well. So they don't have any like previous work memories or anything like that. They they're just completely kind of blank going in at the yeah. beginning. Yeah. So. Um... And and the show sort of explores the um, the little fridge horror <laughs> around that idea, where yeah, I mean, at first the idea was seductive to me because you know that'd be great, wouldn't it? I mean, like you know, you wouldn't have to care about any of the stuff going on in your job. You could just you know go to work, black out for a bit. And then uh, leave, and everything's fine. You're having a lovely time, you know. Right. You get yeah. you get your paychecks. You don't have to uh, don't have to do anything. However, it turns out there are downsides to the scheme. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, and the way that they they frame that, by the way, is that it, when you're one or the other, it it's as if no time has passed. Yeah. Between the um, between the days, so it's like you, you, if you're working, you go up in the elevator to leave, and then suddenly you're arriving in the elevator the the next day. Yeah, which we we rapidly learn um, for the people for the work selves means that they don't ever get to sleep. They never experience sleep. They just sometimes feel more refreshed than other times. Right, yes. And uh, there's not very much in the way of, like, breaks and stuff either, I suppose. It's, it's, it's not a particularly appealing workplace. It's just kind of this blank office where nothing much really happens. Yeah. Um... <laughs> Do do we be allowed to go into the nature of the work they're doing, or um, I, I think we can say the work itself is also just unusual and a little bit kind of inscrutable. Very strange. I mean, um, uh, yeah, we certainly weirder than any job I've held. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's it's an unusual job, but they don't really get into exactly how it works until some of the um uh, uh some of the later episodes and even then there there's some mysteries around it obviously yeah um i really really liked severance um i mm. like i i know i i had i had two people whose opinions i trust and value strongly tell me it was good and then peter chipped in as well uh crossing <laughs> crossing the threshold <laughs> um and um yeah just the way it explores these ideas and all of the sort of natural horror that comes out of that it it, it is a sort of cyberpunk show right i mean that's that's a word i can use to describe this isn't it 
It's a word you can use. It's, it, I, I don't know whether I would use it. it, oh, it in in the of, yeah, it, sort of. In that there's a dystopia. There's some sort of horrible dystopia ticking along. Um, yeah, but it. it I, I suppose it, it has some similar themes, but I don't really think it shares mm. any of that aesthetic. I, I guess I would. Yeah, I know it's not aesthetically the same. So there's yeah. there's none of the. Um, what is it that a lot of people consider from cyberpunk, like you know, the Japanese-inspired aesthetic, that sort of thing? It's more that there's a um, uh, a technologically mediated horrendous capitalism system going on. Yeah, and then we get to severance. Oh, fucking hashtag topical. Um. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it it the the setting feels kind of vaguely modern day-ish, I suppose. Mm. Uh, with some interesting kind of retro futuristic stuff thrown in there as well. Right. Um, so it's not like it feels like the technology has taken over, but it, mm. but it, it feels like they're maybe on the cusp of something. Yeah. Um, Is it is it time to mention the book? <laughs> well, I, I suppose as a way of getting into it, I would say that um, the show is sort of a comedy um, in that it has uh, a bunch of comic moments, but mm. it's not entirely a comedy. Um, there's a lot of dramatic moments <laughs> as well, and uh, I, a lot of quite dark moments. I I, I sort of thought of it as like. The Office, if The Office had been written by Kafka, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's 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 very uh, darkly comic, I would say, uh, and uh, there are certain elements of it that are just uh, uh, straight up funny, I would say yeah. as well. Uh, and one of the things that we thought it would probably be safe to mention without really spoiling anything is that. Uh, in this story, there, there there features this uh, this self help book that mm. one one of the characters has uh, has written. Yeah, it, it, it's full of gems, isn't it? <laughs> um, I I I think I jumped the gun on the book. We do need to explain just a little bit more. I think so. Mm. Um, the the way it's kind of divided up. Um, the company in question who runs everything is called Lumen. And they divide the uh, the people are divided up into innies, who are the the people working inside, and outies, you know, the rest of the world uh, going mm. about their day to day work, uh, which is sort of this horrible, cutesy, infantilizing term that they um that they've picked. But one of the things you kind of notice about the innies is that they they sort of act like children. Mm. And it's like the way they talk and the way they act is very sort of naive and uh, like they sort of like children who possess an adult's knowledge, but they right. don't they don't have memory. Like they talk about sex and things, but they don't have memories. They're only they've only existed as people for like hundreds of hours rather than, um, you know, having the full lifetime of experience to draw on. Mm. And. I think Lumen kind of play praise on that with um uh they 
offer them sort of like trivial rewards for achieving their work, like pencil toppers and things like that. Right. And um, so this this is the environment that, that that they're going into, and because of a series of hilarious coincidences, uh, a, a self help book from the outside. It you know outside things are contraband. They're not allowed anything from outside to tell them what the real world is like. In fact, in, in the first episode, they spend some time speculating on if there's been some sort of horrible climate disaster, which is why you know people would go to the horrible effect of being severed. Mm. Um, there hasn't. It's just a it's just a hashtag capitalism thing. Um, but um. Yeah, so so this uh, this self help book that Peter was describing gets smuggled in accidentally, and the innies all take turns reading it. <laughs> oh, I I really wish we'd we'd pick we'd picked our favorite quotes from it, um, because well, you, you can probably remember a couple. Right? Oh God, I, well I've I've got I've got my favorite too, right? Which are. Uh, the um the the book is written by a by a, a relative of one of the like uh outy characters uh who is portrayed as something of a oh god what's the right word here peter uh i don't know <laughs> i don't know what is the right word here. <laughs> well i mean i mean like like he he's he he's a tremendous dork in that kind of california self-help way um he's he's played almost exclusively for laughs yeah and and play like to the point where his wife and other characters just sort of laugh about him behind his back right Uh, but he has like he publishes self-help books and has this big following even though he's very hard to take seriously Mm. um and so his his book gets smuggled in and some of the two of my favorite lines from it are um the difference between a man and a machine is that a man can think and a machine cannot. Also, a machine is made out of metal and a man is made out of skin. <laughs> um, uh, and and the, the one that really floored me, it genuinely made me cry with laughter, was um, in, <laughs> in the center of industry is dust (laughs) (laughs) it's just full of these pseudo profoundisms which you know we the audience kind of crack up at because obviously they're just trite gibberish yeah right um but to the innies it's like a new religion (laughs) right it's it's the the best thing that they've ever read yes yeah and the only thing they've ever read (laughs) Apart from like company stuff, apart from weird work stuff, yeah, yeah, uh, and uh, yeah. So I think we can tell you about that just to give you a flavour of what some of the funny bits in the the, uh, the show uh, are like, uh, without revealing anything about what happens in the story, which is actually quite exciting and gets to a really, um, a really cool conclusion. I think by the end. Yeah, I was I was uh, really annoyed at the end of season one when I was like. I want to watch the rest now, and and there wasn't more, and I was like, oh yeah, oh I forgot. Yeah, that's that's how seasons work. So um, yeah, consider I don't know if you if you don't have a subscription to that. I think there's free trials available mm. with which you can watch 
this sort of thing if you happen to have been lucky enough to um, get a PlayStation 5, um, which would be amazing because they're not real, um, then I think you can get a six-month trial of it on, on that. So there are ways of seeing it, and I I would recommend it because we need more people to talk to about this show. I want a PlayStation 5. You can't get one. They're not real. Listeners, uh, if you have a PlayStation 5, uh, send it to me at the P.O. Box address we will read out at the end of the episode. Hmm. <laughs> does does this feel morally ambiguous? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I mean, I... I was thinking about the whole severance situation, I suppose, and I don't know. I don't think it's as good as it seems even from the outside perspective because mm. like I feel like I do a decent day's work and stuff but also I'll have like a podcast on or I'll listen to some music or I'll have a lunch that I enjoy and stuff yeah, like that and and work, work as it exists at the moment isn't all just horrible nonsense labor <laughs> um yeah i have you have you ever read uh snow crash by neil stevenson i started it a couple of times but i never actually um committed to it so um i think uh, the severance has snow crash somewhere in its dna right mm. because um a part of the plot of snow crash is a um a, a billionaire who is kind of obsessed with the idea that his programmers are walking home at the end of the day with like you know like if they if they learn how to do a new cool programming trick or whatever it's in their brain mm. and that's not part of that's not can't not and can never be company property Right. Uh so he hires um archaeologists to investigate the Tower of Babel myth. Um mm. and uh th- they come up with um some weird Sumerian incantation stuff which basically can be used to um like reprogram the human brain on like a low level neuro-linguistic way uh mm. so that they are they they aren't taking their precious like company secrets with them because that they physically cannot <laughs> yeah. uh yeah it's it's entertaining it's, it's a really good read uh um uh like most neil stevenson books it just kind of ends without really having a conclusion but it's a but it's it's more like a book than some of his recent ones, I would say. <laughs> like that was that was back when uh, when people weren't afraid to uh, say, "Oh, Neil Stevenson, we can't edit his work. He's he's too cool." <laughs> I I like him a lot, but like uh, a couple of his recent books have been like really woof. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, this this book was fun, but it could have ended a hundred and thirty pages earlier. <laughs> Fair enough. Um... <clears throat> Well, I don't feel like we can really talk very much more mm. about Severance without yeah. giving away some of the game. All right, I, I tell you what, uh, I, I'm going to make a note of this time and tell them to skip ahead to it. 
Oh, right. I was just going to tell them right now that if they're not listening, they can come back. Uh, how would that work? And they're back. Um, so, oh, that was that was weird. We've we've never done a a, a temporal vortex before. That's mm. what I assume the technical term for that is. Uh, sure. Or like maybe post production. <laughs> did did I fix it in post? Can I wear my t-shirt? If you, if you decide, you, you you can wear your t-shirt, but also. To, to the to the listeners, if you decided to uh, skip that previous section, um, oh boy, you missed a good conversation. Ah. Yeah, go go watch Severance and then come come back and think. Oh, do we have to do Severance as a series now? What in <laughs> eight minute chunks? In eight, 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 eight minute chunks of 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 one hour episodes of a show. Wow, <laughs> we'd be doing this for the rest of our natural lives. <laughs> it'll, it'll it'll keep us in biscuit money for years. <laughs> uh, and and I think I've just worked out how to get the the, uh, the listeners to send me a PS five every week. Mm. Shit, dude! I only need one. I can sell the rest. <laughs> if every listener sends me a PS five, I'd have. Five PS5s. <laughs> Some weeks, about eight hundred. Who knows? <laughs> don't, hey, don't don't reveal the stats. That's uh, that's bad form. Oh yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes there are weird spikes. We don't know. Sometimes a hundred million listeners. A eh? audible. That's all right. I think I got them back. Um. So. Um. Cool. Uh, I I don't know if I have anything I wish to digress about right now. All right. Well. Uh... Oh no. We let's talk about Monkey Island again. They they didn't get enough of that last time. Uh yeah sure let's 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 get into it. Yeah, yeah yeah fuck you listeners we're going back to Monkey Island. Um just briefly to say that after we recorded the other episode, um I was like. I want to play Monkey Island because I haven't for a long time. Peter was like, you should, and we should watch it. And I was like, yeah. And then I streamed it to him. And um, and it turns out I don't really remember any of the puzzles. Um, but when playing an adventure game, it, it's quite useful to have someone who knows the entire thing inside out hovering over your shoulder virtually. <laughs> I when I'm in system. Yeah. When I'm like, all right, I think I'm done here. And then this mysterious voice goes, are you? And I'm like, um, <laughs> um, maybe. <laughs> it's great because I can kind of troll him with it as well. And yeah. Just, just say, are you? I, I, oh, okay. If you're sure you're done, uh, when he actually is done in that. <laughs> and I'm room. slowly dragging the mouse cursor over, <laughs> over every pixel on the screen. Uh, uh, it's yeah. like playing the game myself, but uh, without having to wiggle the mouse at all. <laughs> it's like your computer's possessed. By an idiot. <laughs> um, yeah, I just want to say that the stylistic choices that they do in because I'm playing the remastered version, mm. um, which came out uh, a bunch of years ago. We spoke about it before, mm. and um, it, it's weird that some of the choices they made, uh, like Guybrush, kind of looks like a hipster cadaver in it. Um, He's very pale. Well, I was thinking about something that uh, someone's done to make it all a little bit better that you you might want to investigate for, for next time we do that. Ooh. 
which is that someone has made something called the Secret of Monkey Island Ultimate Tolkien Edition. Right. And what it does is it allows you to play it with uh, the old graphics, but with the speech as well. Oh, exciting. And that might be a preferable way to play it to the, uh, the modernized visuals. And the other thing, the other reason to do it like that is because because of the way that they've changed the interface, well, some of the jokes are in the interface. So you actually miss some jokes. Really? A little bit if you uh, if you don't have the full interface up there. Only a mm. couple of times in the game, but enough to annoy me slightly. <laughs> what's, a, what's an example of one? I know I know you have one. Okay, so there's a there's a great example where when do you remember the scene when you're trying to persuade the character called Meat Hook to be on your crew, and in order to do that, he wants you to touch the the beast that uh, took his hands. Uh, n- not at all, unfortunately. No. Okay, and when you open the door uh, to to the beast, it turns out it's uh, like a parrot. Um, and when you have the opportunity to touch the parrot, all of the the verbs that are obviously on screen when you're playing the regular version, but in the special edition are kind of hidden away, kind of off screen, all of your verbs change to different kind of versions of touch, and you just get to choose which one. So it's like tickle or poke or tease. <laughs> mm. uh, and so you, it's easy to miss that joke when they're not, on screen right um and there's just a couple of other little uh examples of things like that where the jokes don't work quite as well um when stuff's not on screen there's another sequence as well when you're stealing the idol where uh the game is sort of playing itself for a while while you're in the uh in the room at the back and you're hearing various sounds yeah i remember that bit and uh it preserves it, it it keeps the kind of verb line at the bottom of the screen telling you what you're doing but you you miss stuff like different items and things appearing in the inventory <laughs> on the new graphics so there's right. some stuff that is a, a little bit lost in translation uh plus also i kind of find the new interface a, a little bit garbage because you um uh, you have to press buttons to bring open to bring up like uh, the list of verbs and a button to bring up the inventory and um having everything on the screen at once would be really useful to be honest yeah it's a really poor implementation actually and they um they address that in the second special mm. edition it becomes much better yeah, I I remember I I don't remember it, rather it being so much of a hassle, but I think I I'm just remembering the second one they did. Yeah, the second the interface of the uh second special edition becomes a bit more like um Curse of Monkey Island where you just hold the mouse over something and then you get some options about what you want to do with it. Mm. Yeah, okay. Uh well, um oof, that's 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 taken us up to our good digression limit for one episode, I think, um, and it, it especially counts if we if we are redigressing on a previous digression. <laughs> yeah, um, that wasn't even my idea to do that. I know, I know. Yeah, um, I'm, the the audience will still blame you, however. Mm-hmm. So, um, back to the podcast at hand, I guess. Uh, this is a podcast where we take a movie, cut it up into eight-minute chunks, uh, and then me and Peter will pre-digest those chunks into a milky pap that soothes your 
roughened gizzard. Um, uh, well, I mean, what can I say after that? <laughs> <laughs> Think of the movie as like a juicy earthworm and me and Peter as the mama birds baby birding that regurgitated worm into your little bird beaks. I think before the next episode of this, we're going to have to come up with some new metaphors. I, t- I tell you what, you, you can you can do the next intro. Would you like that? Uh, sure. Okay, good. R- remind me next time, I'll forget. Okay. So, uh, in addition to that, we got some bells uh, that we press randomly. There are some rules about that. <laughs> uh, no, we've got to do more than that. Okay. Um, so, yeah, to explain that a little better, so hopefully you've been following from episode one, just like we've suggested, but uh, just as a reminder, we are ringing the bell on the words out and thing. Yeah, uh, those those two are the... Um death phrases for this season and uh, if we sound the bell enough for one or the other then at the end of the season whoever has accumulated the most points will be killed hooray (laughs) sweet oblivion at last and now oh god now we move into some actual podcast a mere seven hours in uh, this is the section that we call Let's Not Talk About The Thing. And Peter, once again, what would you like to hear about? I, I don't know this season why I'm asking you, because you have no choice. I have no choice. I'd <laughs> like to hear about Jamie Lee Curtis. Unfortunately, you're going to be hearing about Daniel Craig. Okay. That, I, would, I was just going to say that, and then I switched to Jamie Lee oh, Curtis yeah. at the last moment. Yeah, you, you should have. She's lovely. But, um, but unfortunately, Daniel Craig is in my list. Okay, go on then. All right. Uh, oh, oh, come on. He's a very famous actor. You could at least give him a bit more respect than that. Go on. Sound enthusiastic for Daniel Craig playing Benoit Blanc. Look, I think I've already uh, expressed my appreciation for him in this role uh, and my indifference towards him as James Bond and anything else to do with James Bond. Mm. And that's all he's getting out of me. <laughs> Daniel Rawton Craig, CMG, born this. Wait, wait, wait. Rawton? How are you spelling that? Uh, w R O U G H T O N. It's probably pronounced Wooten or something. Um, uh, okay. Okay. And uh, just one more thing CMG. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, um, he is a uh, companion of the Order of St. Michael and St. George. What, what does that get you? Uh, the the queen gives you a like a a a thing like a like a hat. I I think I think you become like a or a sir or a or a knight or something. I didn't look it up very well, Peter. I wasn't expecting so much blowback on the CMG, which um definitely sounds like a music term. Now. Move on. <laughs> he was born second of March nineteen sixty eight, and he's an English actor. He's most well known for his role as Jake Lonergan in the science fiction western Cowboys and Aliens, but he's also appeared in the fantasy film The Golden Compass, 2007, the drama Defiance, 2008, the mystery thriller The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo from 2011, the heist film Logan Lucky, 2017, and the mystery comedy Knives Out. 
the last earning him a Golden Globe Award nomination for Best Actor in a Motion Picture, Musical, or Comedy. That's that category again. Hmm. After training at the National Youth Theatre in London and graduating from the Guildhall School of Music and Drama in 1991, Craig began his career on stage. He made his film debut in the drama The Power of One from 1992 and the family film A Kid in King Arthur's Court from 1995. Wow, he's in A Kid in King Arthur's Court. I don't know that. Oh boy, we've got to uh, go show you that movie. It's aged poorly. With his breakthrough <laughs> role coming in the drama serial Our Friends in the North from 1996. Hmm. He gained roles in the period film Elizabeth from 1998 and in the action film Lara Croft's Tomb Raider 2001 before appearing in the crime thrillers Road to Perdition 2002 and Layer Cake from 2004, as well as the historical drama film Munich from 2005. All right. So that's all there is to uh, to say about Daniel Craig. Now. <laughs> what? I'm still stuck on something that you said at the beginning. Uh, right. Uh, tell, talk, go, go back to the bit where you're talking about what he's known for. He's most well known for his role as Jake Lonergan in the science fiction western Cowboys and Aliens from 2011. Right. I think you're pranking me. <laughs> uh, why? I, I, because that's not true, is it? Well, I, I mean, I, I've seen him in Cow, Cowboys and Aliens. Okay. Uh, have, have, you, have you watched Cowboys and Aliens? He's, he's really good in it. I, I haven't. Now, I think that you set this whole little bit up so uh, to see whether I would mention or not that I think that James Bond might be an important part of his career as well. Uh, I'm I'm sorry, James who? Come on, come on, own up to it. Uh, uh, I've own, seen uh, right through you. Own up to what? I, uh, uh, James Bond, did you say? Is he like an accountant? Not James Pond, not Robocop. <laughs> James Bond. <laughs> There's a line here that says, will he notice James Bond with three question marks after it? <laughs> yes. Come on. Give me a little bit of credit. I just wanted to see if you notice if I if I did a biography of Daniel Craig and missed out James Bond. Yeah, okay, he's been in a shitload of James Bond movies. Right. Starting starting with um Casino Royale in 2006 and in No Time ending in No Time to Die, which came out this year. Um I haven't seen No Time to Die yet. I wanted to go and see it. Um but coronavirus pandemic and you'll never guess who he meets up with again in uh, in no time to die uh, uh who's playing the bond girl it's anna de armas who he uh he met on knives out and liked working with her so much he got her a job in james bond well, well that's nice? that's actually a very rude way for me to put it like i assume that he was like would you like to work in james bond and she was like yeah fuck yeah sure and then they did the whole casting thing like i, I don't think daniel craig can arbitrarily assign people roles in bond movies maybe yeah uh, maybe he's like cast this person and i'm not doing the bond I, I actually actually yeah i need to review this now go go open uh no time to die scroll down and see if he's listed as an executive producer in which case he probably can yeah um, <laughs> <laughs> honestly but yeah they liked working together so they appeared in another film together fantastic okay that's nice <laughs> that's fun i like it i 
that story genuinely delights me like when you know your son makes a friend at nursery i don't and i don't know why i've got a weird parasocial relationship with daniel craig now i guess he's he's my little baby bond boy (laughs) yeah as as i've mentioned a couple of times i just i can muster up no enthusiasm at all for james bond i don't know why it seems like it that's, there's a there's a world in which it might be my kind of thing, but I've just never been that interested. I, I mean, that I, is I, that is weird to me. I mean, like people, I mean, there are people who don't like Bond, but like, there, I'm sure you gotta like one of them, right? I mean, not specifically a a, a Bond actor, maybe, but there's gotta be like, what? What's your favorite James Bond film? Is the question I'm asking here, and I don't want your no, it's none of them. <laughs> Well, I mean, you've you've got to remember that I'm someone who has oh, raised raised in a cave. Oh yeah, I forgot. Sorry, <laughs> not really seen many James Bond films, and the ones that I have seen, I haven't really seen more than once. You um, um you, you you live you lived in the sewers with the other chuds until your mid thirties, where uh you know you were driven up to the surface. I remember as a child seeing Live and Let Die. Uh, I remember as a probably a teenager seeing Die Another Day because um, some friends wanted to see it and it had come out. Uh, uh, <laughs> oh yeah, if, if you're inter- if you started with Die Another Day, I see why you, you may not. It's not a very good one, is it? It's not, no, no um, it's not well received. And I've seen bits of other ones at various times. I've probably seen one at your house at some point it mm. wouldn't surprise me um, Prob- probably goldeneye because that's my favorite uh i might have seen goldeneye yeah, yeah. um i i don't know uh, i just i'm just not that interested there's nothing against it really i just don't really care <laughs> <laughs> sorry craig <laughs> Do you know <laughs> this this is increasingly bad because uh, we actually have Daniel Craig here as a guest and um and he's been he's been listening to all of this in the green room and, oh, and I've, no. I've I've just been informed that he's left oh, because of because of what you said Sorry Daniel Craig sorry I called you Craig David just now as well <laughs> They're different people Peter yeah. <laughs> I was going to say one of them's a singer, but I I think Daniel Craig might also sing. Mm. <laughs> Sorry, Dan. Oh, this is going to be one of those podcasts where we have to formally apologise to Daniel Craig next week. I think he's good. he's a great actor. He's a great actor. I like him in the Bond films he's in. I haven't seen the two most recent ones. Uh, or right, Quantum Solace was a bit garbage, but even he admitted that one. They didn't have a script, you know. I mean, like, <laughs> it was it was in the middle of that writers' strike, so they were just kind of like. Oh, what would Bond do here? Eat breakfast? Um. <laughs> <laughs> I think that Daniel uh, Craig would appreciate that someone uh, enjoys him as an actor outside the context of Bond. You know, people don't want to be yeah. no, defined by one one role, which is perhaps a contributing factor to why he wanted to play such a weird outlandish detective character how do you in, um in this film how do you feel about him in cowboys and aliens uh i've never seen cowboys and aliens all right well 
I'll, I'll let you off, but I, I feel like you should apologize to Daniel Rawton Craig, CMG. Um, I'm waiting. Sorry, Daniel Rawton Craig, CMG. All right, that's better. We can move on from here. Now, as you as you rather astutely mentioned, he is playing a detective in the film. He's playing Detective Benoit Blanc, and um. Did uh, did you at any point in your life want to be a detective, Peter? Um, I don't think I've ever had a strong desire to be a detective, mm. but I've always liked, like particularly like freelance detectives in stories. Mm. Yeah, because I I I asked because uh, I'm not sure if I've ever told you or anyone this, but I I super did as a child. Uh, I th- I think between the ages of eight and nine. <laughs> okay, or maybe earlier. It might probably earlier actually. Um, I I super wanted to be a detective, uh, and and I got into it through the um through the the Disney Club comic. Mickey Mouse is a detective series. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and and after that I started absorbing other sort of detective themed media. And uh and I I think at a certain point I realized like oh like I was going around fingerprinting shit um, <laughs> mm. and all that all that other stuff. You you can you can do it with like white or black poster paint. You just have to kind of like gently brush it onto something and <gasps> the fingerprints appear. But then you have to go and fingerprint your family, who uh, who will probably put up with it begrudgingly if you're a child. But the older you get, the less into it they are. <laughs> yeah. Um. And uh, yeah, I had a detective hat that I wore. Oh God, there's probably a photo of me in that hat. <laughs> what What sort of hat was your detective hat? Um. It it was it was like my granddad's fedora. <laughs> okay. Like a like like he was like if you're a detective wear this and I'm like oh okay yes and uh, I think I think he just he just took it back off me after a while because um, he needed a hat. Um, <laughs> did you have a magnifying glass? I did have a magnifying glass. Yeah. Oh, uh, I think there was some slight overlap with spies because I was practicing dead drops and things. Um, okay. I th- I, th- I think, yeah, I, I also ended up... Th- there's some sort of overlap between being a detective and the, the Usborne book of spying. Um, <laughs> okay, yeah, I, I recall that book. <laughs> Which I definitely read. Yeah. Uh, but I, I didn't go into it because it turns out it's a thing I have no aptitude for. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I know writers who use subtext, they're all cowards, etc., etc. <laughs> mm. I think most... Yeah. Uh, detectives have to be like just regular cops for a bit as well, which is probably a drag. Oh yeah, um, who'd who'd want to do that? Like, uh, I suppose. I mean, I suppose you could just go and say you're a detective, but then people would quickly find out you're not good at it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, you could you could have just gone into private detectivery. Mm. But uh, I mean, the the idea is interesting to me because presumably there's some point in the police career where they're like, okay, you can be a detective now. We will send you on some courses to learn detectiving. Mm. Um, so you know, it's got to it's got to be a taught skill. But I guess um, not everybody comes out of that school of Colombo. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, definitely. I would. Uh, I think, in in theory, I'd like to detect, but without any of the police baggage, I'd have to be. <laughs> I'd have to be independent and uh, and eccentric. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I think I think you've got that one down. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> and uh, and with that backhanded comment i think it's time uh, time for us to review your answers from the previous episode do you want to say that again or no no I, i'm i'm happy with it uh, all right okay <laughs> i was i was looking at a different word in the script but fine epstestode it is <laughs> all right um so we you you said last time if you were seeing this for the first time who do you think the murder is and how did they done it and you're still on linda knife um which um Yep. Uh, because all of the subsequent motive revelations were too obvious. You know, the uh, where Walt with his publishing company and uh, Richard with his affair mm. uh, and Joni with her just needing some money. Uh, and you de- you said it definitely isn't ransom because uh, the whole thing is too lampshaded. Uh, like, you know, he, he shouts at uh, Harlan at the party and then storms out. And you d- we haven't even seen him at this point. Right. And you said you said it's definitely not Marta because it doesn't fit her character. Yes, that's where I am mentally at the moment. Uh, right. If I'm if I'm thinking back to how I would have thought about this when I first saw the film, I, if um, the technology from Severance becomes real, can I sever you for movies? Yeah, but then uh, like. My conversation is going to be all very simplistic, like even more so than usual about the film. Uh, we, we, we'll talk about what your contractual obligations are after the show, okay? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and um, then you said we, we, we discussed what's happening next, and you said we find out that Marta throws up whenever she tells a lie. And that Blanc is going to test this successfully by asking if she knew about Richard's affair. Then she'll be interviewed formally, and we're going to find out that there's more to the story. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, with that, uh, let's get into it, and we'll watch minutes 24 to 32 of Knives Out. All right. Marta says she started working for Harlan for 15 hours a week, but he needed more help that he needed a friend. Um, interestingly, in the background of this scene here, it's it's actually raining, uh, and you can sort of see it, like, because the, the deck all around them is slick. Mm. And um, the sound team did such a good job, like, editing out the... like Not editing, but, like, like tuning it out with filters and stuff on the day, uh, that they didn't need to go back for any ADR, like additional dialogue recording. They they just use the take, and you don't hear the rain. Hmm. That's very, very good work. Pretty good. Um, now, when um, when Blanc is talking to Marta uh, about this and kind of pressing her, I guess a little bit on her character, what makes her a good nurse, and all of that sort of thing. Hmm. Um, the the police seem uncomfortable with Blanc's approach here, yeah. hmm. which is interesting. Uh, how do you mean? I, I'm not sure. I noticed that uh, they sort of try to 
interrupt him in his line of question. Oh yes, yes. Mm. Uh, they, <laughs> yeah, I remember now. He's uh, he's a little more forward than I think they'd like. Yeah. Um, is is a thing that I think is quite sweet actually. Uh, Anna Armas is is a from Cuba, as we discussed earlier, and uh, they knew she'd probably be freezing on location in Boston winter, so they designed her costume in layers so that she can layer up to stay warm. Oh, that's. That's, that's, nice. that's nice. I like that. So she's not just sitting there shivering. On set. Mm. <laughs> uh, Blanc explains that Harlan probably told her the unfiltered truth. That's not his truth uh, about <laughs> about many of them, and that she has a regurgitative reaction to mistruthin that she literally vomits if she lies. Mm. Uh, do you think this is a real medical condition? Um. I am going to say this could exist, yes. Uh, it's not a real medical condition. Uh, the closest uh, that they could find while researching it was that extreme anxiety can cause some gastrointestinal problems. So if you had some sort of deep-seated anxiety about lying, maybe it could make you feel nauseous. Um, mm. But this is like really taking that whole idea to like 11. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's a necessary con- conceit, I guess. Mm. Uh, I I remember thinking it was a little weird as a thing at the time, and was thinking, okay, this has got to be key at some point because otherwise, why would they go to the trouble of uh, establishing this quite weird plot point? Right, and and uh, and Ryan Johnson said that he took a leaf out of the Breaking Bad playbook here. Um, where one of the sort of rules they were operating under is that you should always put your characters in the worst possible situation. Mm. So uh, Marta is going to absolutely need to lie to get out of the get, get to get out of this situation she's found herself in. Uh, so they take away her ability to lie. Mm, right. Blank asks Marta if Richard is having an affair. We see a flashback of Harlan and Marta outside on the deck in the sun, and he shows her the photos of Richard we've seen earlier. Mm. Oh dear, so she knows. Um, as Harlan gets a great line here, which is, uh, why do men instinctively tug at loose strings on their parachutes? Mm. <laughs> he t- doesn't think much of Richard as a person, I'm taking yeah. away from it. Um, back in the present, Marta, looking uncomfortable, stalls. Blanc says a yes or no will do. Uh, she says no, and then she vomits into an urn. <laughs> there we go. Uh, uh, <laughs> go on. No, no. Uh, if she, I was just going to say, if she knows uh, the result that the answer is going to have, uh, the, the obvious kind of question is why still lie? And I think that uh, it's a. I, I do like this moment because. She's still in in this mindset that loyalty to this this family is important. Yeah, she's she's trying to protect them, mm. and uh, <laughs> um, that it will turn out to be revealed is a misguided thing. But yeah. also, it's quite useful for the point of view of the audience because it reveals that yeah, she can absolutely cannot lie without throwing up. Mm-hmm. Oh boy. Um, <laughs> Uh, Blanc and Elliot comfort her briefly before Blanc says that he was right. Uh, Richard was having an affair and Harlan knew about it. 
Elliot doesn't think it's a strong enough reason for murder, and Blunk brings up Joni, asking Marta if Harlan was going to cut off her allowance. Again, we get a flashback with Harlan showing Marta the evidence. Mm. Now, it's interesting here because, um, like in the previous scene, well, what we've got here is Harlan sitting at his desk in his office, and Marta is in a a lounge chair in the room with him, and um, she's just sort of lounging there, drinking a cup of tea and reading a book. And it's sort of more like how you would just have a friend be with you in companionable silence rather than a nurse. Like she is very comfortable around Harlan and likewise he with her. And you can just see, tell this from their body language. Yeah. And he's clearly unguarded around her as well. Yeah. No, well, I mean, he, he is straight up telling her these absolutely horrible things about his family. Yeah. How about his children? But even just kind of blurting stuff out before um, uh, before he's even necessarily directly addressing Martha. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Blunt triumphantly announced that Joni was double dipping, and uh, Trooper Wagner is shocked that an influencer could do a crime. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's adorable. <laughs> uh, I, I got a note here that uh, that in the scene Blunk is dapper AF. Um, as he is throughout the movie, but in this scene, he's wearing a Brooks Brothers tan herringbone top coat. So, you know, if you want to hashtag steal his look, that's what you're going to be doing. Um, I can't afford that coat. Uh, <laughs> and and let's face it, uh, it it's uh, it's not going to look as good as me as it does on uh, Daniel Rotten Craig CMG. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. Um, We'll we'll get into the fashions from the movie um, and the internet's response to them more when we're introduced to Ransom. <laughs> Look, I, 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 I like you a lot, but I probably agree that Daniel Craig can pull that off better. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I, I I will take that feedback <laughs> with no further comments. Blank notes that all three of them lied. Walter had been shaken by something Harlan said. Harlan was clearing house. He goes to ask Marta about this, and she escapes inside. <laughs> not, no. not unfairly, I think. She's just <laughs> running away at this point. Yeah, so obviously we know that there's also an ulterior motive to her wanting mm. to get away from this situation, but it also just feels perfectly plausible that she'd want to leave at this point anyway. Um, yeah, and and interesting. Blanc doesn't ask her to stay because he's proven his point already. Right. Yeah. Uh, also, I'm glad that uh, Blanc here uses a similar phrase that I used last time about um, like clearing house mm. uh, because I wasn't really thinking about this. I'd, I'd forgotten this whole kind of summary of the motives and things that he he gives at this point, uh, and so I'm glad that my thinking about that was aligned with the, 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 the clever detectives at this point. I mean, listeners, you do have to take that with a pinch of salt, as we've proven before that he's a hashtag pod- podcast research liar. Um, <laughs> hanging out on Wikipedia, calling up the actors at all hours of the day. Um, Blanc begins to explain to Elliot why he's here. Um, uh, and 
one of the one of the bits he says here uh, uh, none of these dis- none of these domestic squibbles and I'm like squibbles <laughs> yeah that's uh, not a word <laughs> I, I do not think this word means what you think it means uh, I'm here I'm here for squibbles we should uh, we, we should it's cross between squabble and scribble I don't know I think it's a cross between maybe quibble and squabble squibble, yeah squibbles I love it I love it. Um, well, I am again glad that at this point Benoit is acknowledging that the the motives that we've seen so far don't really add up to hmm. really a murder motive. They yeah. there's something, but they're not that they're, they're not gonna draw a line from that to murder, really. Which is where I was with it last week when you're asking me whether I wanted to change my answer about Linda, hmm. and I'm like, no, because I don't. I feel like. Linda's hiding something that we're not really aware of, perhaps at the moment. Yeah, we we haven't explored her motives at all. Yeah, and should indeed any exist. Uh, and the motives that we've got for three others at the moment just don't really seem like they really cut it. Mm. I am. Um, I hadn't really thought about it before, but the movie as it goes on will present no motive for Linda, or will it? Like not uh, explicitly. I don't think so, no. And mm. I think that we're um, probably at this stage supposed to think, does she have a motive? Maybe she does have a yeah. motive that we're not aware of at the moment. But yeah, uh, yeah it's not one of those. It, it, it doesn't feel like it's supposed to be one of those mysteries where, oh, literally everyone that you meet has a motive and it's, uh, it's all that mysterious. But, no, no, no. Yeah. Uh, I, Benoit Blanc refers to himself in the third person here, like Hercule Poirot. <laughs> um, <laughs> is that mandatory for detectives? Uh, I think you have to do it at least sometimes. Right. Um, he uh, um, he says is here that he dodged a question. He doesn't know who hired him. Uh uh, an an envelope of cash turned up with a copy of Harlan's obituary, and uh, uh, Trooper Wagner says that was enough to hire you. And he says an envelope of cash and holds his fingers about an inch apart. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, funnily enough, that they they cut a gag here where uh, Elliot says uh, that they'll need to take that in for evidence, and Blanc says, "Oh, sure, sure," and hands him the empty envelope. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. I could, yeah, I quite like that one. Yeah. <laughs> um, Blank says someone suspects foul play, but who? Uh, if you look closely, Blank has a red rashy neck here, um, which uh, which will be explained in a later deleted scene, but um, oh. otherwise just makes him look a little bit rashy. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's not that obvious. I never noticed it until it was explicitly pointed out to me by someone else. No, I don't think I've ever noticed it either. Mm. They review the evidence so far, which we see in flashback. The party ends at about 11.30. Marta takes Harlan upstairs, up the creaky stairs to the attic office for his medicine. Linda tries to sleep, but wakes every time someone uses the creaky stairs. Joni hears a bump upstairs and goes up there to check, and Harlan tells her that he knocked over the go board and to go back downstairs to bed. Now, um, I remember the first time that I saw this, 
I thought there was something going on here. Yeah. It just didn't seem like the Go board would make that sort of noise. Yeah, the two things that made me suspicious here are exactly as you say, like the Go board like we hear a, a like a big thump in the uh, in the previous little flashback scene and um then we go you know we cut upstairs and the go board's on the floor and he's telling her to go back to bed like yeah it doesn't seem like it would make that much noise obviously probably no noise at all yeah and also marta is in the room just standing in the corner facing away from the two of them Mm. Like that is a mega weird thing to do if someone enters a room. Like you would, you would look right at the very least, but she stands there facing away from both of them, mm. which is weird behavior. It is. Mm. Ten minutes later, Linda is woken up by Marta leaving. Um, they they keep doing this shot where Linda like wakes up and looks up at the ceiling above her, and um, because they realized that the camera was just panning up to nothing. Uh, they went and bought a fancy little lamp to cast a weird kind of like spidery shadow on the ceiling, <laughs> just just so there was something there. <laughs> and then they ended up reusing it a bunch of times. Like they just like the effects. They end up reusing it a bunch of times throughout the film. <laughs> Walt is smoking a cigar on the porch and notes her leaving, looking at his watch. It's midnight. This is one of those unreliable narrator moments that we will get back to later. Hmm. 15 minutes later, Linda wakes a third time. Harlan is coming downstairs for a midnight snack. Um, I, I got a note here, which is not relevant at this point, but I, I just put it in here at random. So sorry, you get this note, which may not be entirely related to what's happening right now. Uh, the whole film was shot digitally rather than on film. Uh, which is a big change for Ryan Johnson. Um, and film has this soft glow around the edges of bright lights like windows, which is called halation. Mm. And uh, the cinematographer, Steve Yedlin, had to write a post-processing script to simulate the effect in any shot where it was relevant. Yes, I remember. I, I, I do remember this being talked about, actually, at some point. I must have seen something about this. Mm. Uh, because... Yeah, it was shot digitally, but then later made to look more like, like it was film. shot on film, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Walt shouts through the door for Harlan to go back to bed, and he walks back upstairs. And he does this um, w- without really even looking that much, does- doesn't he? So yeah. this must be something that just happens sometimes. Yeah, Walt, Walt is standing out on the porch, and uh, Harlan is uh, walking down the stairs in his like nightgown and nightcap. And uh, we don't really see Harlan in any great detail here. That's a point we should probably mention for no particular reason. Yes. Uh, but Walt can't see him either through the frosted glass of the door. And so he just shouts, Dad, go back to bed. And he walks upstairs. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was kind of, yeah, Harlan probably does that all the time. But I thought it was weird that he'd you know accede to that request. Uh, he doesn't seem like the sort of person to... Yeah, I was going to say something similar, actually. Yeah, it, it feels like if he wanted to ignore Walt and get a midnight snack, he just would. Yeah, uh, from what we see of Harlan throughout the movie, he just does what he wants to do, which right. if I ever reach the age of 85, I'm, I'm fucking hell, that's me. I'm just going to do whatever the fuck I want to do. <laughs> yeah, I'd be like, my mind's made up, Walt. Yeah. It, it's all it's- for the best. I'm getting this snack. 
we we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it in the office tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> oh dear. Uh, from this, they figure out the time of death to be between twelve fifteen and two a.m. At near three a.m., Meg wakes up because the dogs are barking outside. Perhaps this will be significant later. <laughs> so this this is the thing that um, kept buzzing around in my brain when we were watching it in the cinema. Right, is that uh, all of the evidence presented later, which sort of solves this thing never addresses this. It never addresses why the dogs bark at 3am. Mm. Uh, it's a good clue here, I think, uh, and I, I will have completely missed that when I watched it for the first time, I'm sure. Mm. At this point, Elliot isn't having it. It was clearly a suicide. Cullen slit his carotid artery, as shown as, as shown by the blood spatter. Um, the... Um, they say the blood spatter is, you know, uninterrupted, so it shows there was no one around him. And mm. uh, they uh, they cut a line here saying that, you know, it went clear eight feet across the room because um, they, you know, they tidied up that blood in um, in post production to uh, to get a PG rating, right? Uh, but um, that that line was to suggest that, you know, maybe the uh, maybe that explains where the blood droplets on Marta come from. Mm. Mm. Uh, Blanc remarks here that physical evidence can tell a clear story with a fog turn, which I, which is a line I quite liked. Yeah. Um, and pretty true. Obviously. I mean, um, we've got all this, we've got all this evidence, but it's pointing directly at something, which is not the conclusion of the case. <laughs> and, uh, Elliot just doesn't really understand this line. Yeah. <laughs> um, like, what? <laughs> Which uh, uh, follows one of my favorite uh, kind of consulting detective uh, tropes, I guess, which is mm. uh, where the cops just are not good enough. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, uh, Lakeith Stanfield and Noah Segan have have some comments about their performance as a police force, which we will get to in a later episode for their for their spin off show. I'm I'm not I'm not telling you I'm not telling you about the spin off show yet. Okay. <laughs> um, thunder rumbles as Blanc remarks that everyone can lie. Well, almost everyone. Ooh. Ooh. He's talking about Marta because she can't lie. I, I know. I, I, I got that. That's subtext. Mm-hmm. Maybe. But it's kind of, kind of text, really, isn't it? <laughs> Inside, later, Marta is being formally interviewed. They wanted to talk to her last. Yeah, and, and we end here uh, for, for eight minutes of this show. Mm. Um, You can sort of see why they wanted to talk to her last because, you know, she's like a fucking polygraph test for everyone else yeah uh, makes sense mm, but as we'll um as as we'll find out uh in the next episode i think uh i think it's po- why polygraph tests aren't used very much is that uh the truth is highly subjective <laughs> mm. also um Polygraph tests wouldn't be used as much if they just chucked vomit everywhere every oh, time someone oh, lied. Oh, oh god, like the fucking exorcist. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, 
I often wonder what's going to come of those fMRI polygraph tests mm. um, where you you um you know you put someone in a functional MRI machine and uh, ask them questions and if the area of the brain responsible for telling the truth lights up, they're telling the truth. And if the area of the brain responsible for telling a lie lights up, they're telling a lie. I mean, that, that one feels a bit, uh, I'm just worried about it killing off, uh, you know, detective thrillers in the future. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like how, um, how the introduction of the mobile phone had to, uh, you know, uh, severed hundreds of like, very common detective tropes i think there's even a columbo episode we watched where um the distance of the drive to a nearby payphone is a huge element in the plot and actually the gotcha <laughs> that the columbo hangs the whole case on yeah i mean I, I think it's one one of the things that's quite impressive actually about this film is that it manages to do this kind of fairly old-fashioned mm. style mystery set in basically the present day yeah uh without being ruined by technology really no yeah i mean uh well we will get into how uh modern technology fails probably a couple of episodes from now when we're uh we go to examine some stuff that you think carla might have like cctv <laughs> mm. um i uh, just digress even further to say uh one of my favorite things they do on the colombo podcast is uh at the end of each season like you know of the show they um they go back to all of the previous ones and they uh they try and figure out whether the case would be thrown out of court or not <laughs> oh yeah like probably most of them yeah uh, I, mean, I mean he the way that colombo uh conducts his business in some of these cases is technically highly unethical <laughs> um, but i tend to give him a pass because of how he almost exclusively goes after uh cocky rich people who yeah. think they're above the law yeah that, that, so it, that's it's, his <laughs> it's more like he's kind of uh leveling the playing field than cheating yeah yeah C colombo pretty much exclusively takes down uh people for whom traditionally the law only acts as a protective force right <laughs> which is fun we like colombo you should watch that as well um you should um you should back our patreon where we watch colombo episodes and talk about them uh <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, seriously, if if you like the aspects of uh, Benoit Blanc's character where he's kind of uh, appearing deliberately a little naive in order to draw out more information mm. uh, from the people he's questioning, then I think you will probably quite enjoy Columbo's approach. Lifted straight from the Columbo playbook. If yeah. there was a point in this movie where uh, Blanc did, did a straight up just one more thing, I would... I would I would die happy. Yeah. <laughs> hey, <laughs> maybe the next one. Yeah, yeah. Fingers crossed for knives out to Peter. Peter Moydrug. Um <laughs> God. <laughs> if you were seeing this movie for the first time, who do you think the murderer is and how did they done it? It's gonna be Linda Knife again still, isn't it? 
Yeah, I don't think yeah. anything has happened. In fact, it, the conversations that they've just had reinforce my previous position even more, I would say. Yeah, Elliot, Elliot says they're all weak source reasons. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, Benoit does seem to agree with that. And uh, and we see that Harlan definitely slit his own throat because there was no one else around him. At this point, are you imagining perhaps a murderer with a knife on a really long stick? Um, I I think I'm thinking, well, something odd has got to be going on, but all of those thoughts are going to very quickly get overtaken by what happens next in the film. Mm. Right. And, um, of course, our other question, what happens next? Yes. So, uh, I think that pretty soon now we're going to get into at least what appears to be the true story of what happens. Uh, So, we are going to find out that there was a mix-up with the medicines. And that, uh, basically, Marta uh, is unable to find the uh, 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 unable to find the medication to reverse the mix-up, and uh, the dose that Harlan's been given is therefore way too high, and his death is basically inevitable. And then we are going to witness. Uh, Harlan come up with a plan for how Marta can get away with this mix-up. Right, very good. I have a strong feeling that's exactly what's going to happen. And Yeah, I think we'll probably get through most of that bit in the next uh, eight minutes. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're definitely definitely a good chunk through it, I think. Mm. And uh, And what are you thinking about the film so far? Um... Yeah, I I'm really enjoying it so far. So far, it seems also like a fairly standard mystery setup, mm. uh, and so I'm looking forward to being able to say more other things about that. As I think that's all going to change in the right next soon. episode. Yeah, it's it's uh it's definitely uh sort of settling you comfortly into um who done it. Uh, vibes at this point. Yeah, it's a good setup with good characters, but we're in up until this point, at least, kind of familiar territory for mysteries. So. Yeah. Oh, oh, I, I think I missed out a note earlier where uh, um, uh, Benoit Blanc says uh, says uh, you you've been very patient, and um, Ryan Johnson put that in as as a. Directed to the audience, it's not. <laughs> he's saying it, but they're saying thank you for coming on this like aggressive half an hour journey of like data upload with us. But you know, we're cruising into the uh, into the bit where the movie's actually kicked into gear soon, real soon. It's just uh, it makes me really excited. Without getting too far into. Um... Uh, into what's about to happen because uh, you know we'll we'll talk about that when it happens. Mm. It just makes me really excited for the next film that there's going to be. And, oh yeah, uh, and how because they that obviously they're not going to be able to subvert things in the same way. But 
I've got to imagine that he wants to subvert it in some different way. And I don't, I've got no idea what that means at the moment. And that's re- I'm really excited to maybe explore that. Hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, I was sort of thinking about knives out too, because, um, in the first movie, this one, we've just come into everything completely blank. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, um, uh, but in the second movie, we won't be going into it quite so blank. No, it's just it no, it only works once or so. Yeah. And so so we're gonna have to uh, you know, really it's it's gonna have to be a, a different setup and I'm excited to see how it d- differs from this one. Yeah, is it just gonna be more of a straight mystery or is it gonna just surprise us in a completely different way that we haven't thought of? Who knows? I've just had a weird thought. Is Knives Out 2 supposed to come out this year? I think so. Like it's all filmed now, right? And there can't yeah. be that much post production. So well, you know, there is the uh, there is the scene where he fights on Mars. Um, a lot of CGI. Mm. Uh, we we may be releasing this podcast at the same time as Knives Out Two has come out. Mm. That'd be a weird thing. Uh, cool. Yeah. We um, how are we gonna? do it if if knives out too do we have to watch it in the cinema and like whis- I think whisper into a recorder if we're still recording this at <laughs> the point that knives out 2 comes out then that's just going to be one of our digressions at the beginning which is <laughs> yeah. going to be weird isn't it yeah <laughs> so the sequel to this movie has just been released um so i, I guess that weirdness uh carries us softly over the finish line of this podcast into the waiting arms of Morpheus. Um, I meant like the Greek god of sleep, not Lawrence Fishburne from The Matrix. Um, Is there like a school you can go to to get good metaphors? Um, Isn't that just regular school oh i definitely don't think so no <laughs> uh yeah so uh podcast concluded let's put it that way and uh, listeners if you have any questions or comments or um uh i actually uh tell us what your favorite james bond movie is and why uh and if you don't have a favorite james bond movie uh watch goldeneye i like that one mm. oh i want to watch <laughs> Uh, I, was, I was trying to think of the other ones I like, uh, but the names all kind of run together in my brain. Uh, I, I like the one where um, they're on the boat and he puts the guy in the pressure chamber and blows him up. That's a cool one. Uh, uh, I think that might be Live and Let Die. Uh, um, and and I like the one where um, they've got the spaceship and he eats other spaceships. I know that one's Moonraker. Um, and if you don't want to watch any James Bond films and don't really have a favourite then just make up the title of a James Bond film they're getting really lazy with it now so it's quite easy like the last one was like what, no time to die if, just <laughs> use the word die in there somewhere and how it's probably not going to happen to Bond if, um, if, if, we, if we get sued by Broccoli Productions because of this uh, yeah. you, are, you are taking the brunt of this um, yeah 
also. Um, uh, yeah, if you don't like James Bond, um, tell us what your favourite bit of Cowboys versus Aliens was. I watched it on a plane. <laughs> I didn't. Um, I I watched that and Tinker Tailor's Soldier Spy on a on a fourteen hour flight from London to LA, and, and I I think I like Cowboys and Aliens more, but I kind of slept through both of them. So you know, but it, it was probably better than what was the one that I hated on a plane, Geostorm. Geostorm. Yeah. <laughs> Is Daniel Craig in Geostorm? That'd be he's, amazing. He's, he's, he's not, not in that. He's not in that. No. no, no. But I do have to show you a kid in King Arthur's court, and we have to keep an eye out for Daniel Craig. Okay. Um. Right. Yeah. So, if you have any questions or comments, email us at podcast at eightminutemovies.co.uk. And if you like the show, tell a friend. Um, have the URL of our podcast skywritten above your place of work, or leave a comment on on whatever service you listen to this on. Maybe not our website because I don't think you can leave comments there. I can't remember. Um. I hope you, you can write on your screen. Yeah, yeah, you could write on your screen, but be sure to use a like a, a wipe clean marker because uh, we are not responsible for you damaging your laptop. Yeah, um, if you have already written "I like the podcast" on your screen uh, as a result of this, then we are not responsible. Uh, don't try this at home, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, okay, where where can you be found on the internet, uh, Kestrel Pie? That's right, Kestrel Pie. Kestrel, like the bird, and pie like the irrational number. That's who I am on Twitter and various other bits and pieces. And I'm Kieran J. Walsh on Twitter, although increasingly I just don't tweet. <laughs> I don't know why I bother adding this easy. Fair, honestly. All right. Uh, so we had a good time. We hope you had a good time. We love you, listeners. Keep coming back and uh, perhaps recommending us to large brands for sponsorship deals uh, don't want to pressure you or anything um but that'd be nice if you are a large brand wouldn't you love to be associated with this bullshit <laughs> oh god no you've got you've got to stop calling it shit otherwise <laughs> 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 who do you think we are the mcelroys <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, uh... the podcast concluded goodbye bye <laughs>